0: The Beat Church, bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. Amen. Thank you, Kyle. All right, Uh, if you were here last week, uh, then you know why I have this on. If you don't, um, you will find out in a couple minutes. But uh, before we get started, we did pass out last week. We passed out some little uh, take-homes that go along with this message. If you were not here, you did not get one, uh, raise your hand. Amy Galley is going to pass them out. We have a few left, so look around. We should have enough for the people that are here. If not... That's why you should be here every week. But uh, no, I'm just kidding. If not, if you let me know, we will get some more. Uh, so you have one. It's just something to keep that fresh in your mind. Amy, you missed one behind you. Uh, and so it's to help you remember what we're going to be talking about because it's important uh, for us to take this in and to be able to hold it. So I'm going to give her just a second to run those around and see how fast she is. She's on a game show. It feels like uh, Price is Right or like one of those shopping things. We got game show music anywhere? Dun, 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 dun. Is that how it go? And so, okay, we're out. So if you didn't get one, if you hit me up afterwards, and we'll make sure to get some for next week so that you get them if you're going to be back. So, uh, amen. All right, Lord, thank you for this word. I pray that you would uh, let it fall on good soil. Lord, help us to understand it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who's our counselor and who leads us into truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're talking about abide or die, and last week what I talked about was that we actually are spirit beings. The Bible says we have to be born of water and of the spirit, meaning that we're born once in a natural way, but when we come to serve the Lord that, and we give our life to him, that we actually are born again, that there's a spiritual birth, that we have a new heart, that we begin to live by the spirit. Okay? And if we live by the spirit, that's a different type of being. And so if you think about it, if you lived on earth and then you go to space, Okay, and you go to a different area where different bodies, different things would be made to live. It's going to be a different way of breathing, a different air. And so when you go to space, you've got to be geared up. You got to be suited up. You got to have your little helmet on. Like you got to have air, right? If you don't, what's going to happen? If you go to space and you're like, no, I don't like all that gear. It's a little cumbersome and it's not very cool. And you're, I'll just be on my own. I'm just going to jump out of the ship. I'm going to do a little spacewalk. But I want to look. I just did my hair, by the way, so I don't need that on me. And you jump out and you go out there. What will happen to you very quickly? You're going to die. Do you know why? Because you need air. And that level of necessity, that level of need is what Jesus was really talking about in John 15. And he talks about, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. But if you don't abide in me, you'll dry up and wither and be good for nothing but to be gathered and thrown in the fire. What he's saying is look, a branch connects to the vine, and if it doesn't stay connected... Then it doesn't get the sap, it doesn't get the things it needs to live, and then it dies. It's not just about bearing good fruit, although that's a part of the outcome. It's more than that. It's, there's no fruit, and then there's death. The branch literally dies. It was a, the story, the branch dies in what he's talking about. It's that important. Well, we think of that in terms of gardening, but we're not all gardeners, so it's hard to understand. So what we understand is breath really well in our modern time. Like, i got to be able to breathe. Well, if you take the breath out, what happens? You die. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that you need me in your life, and if you don't, you will wither up and die. And so abiding in the Lord is necessary, not just because we want to be better Christians or more spiritual, or maybe be a little bit better with whatever gifting God's given us, a little kinder, a little nicer, a little more patient, but literally so that we can actually just stay alive spiritually. So we can stay alive in our heart and in our mind and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so it's that important for us. And so this week we're going to actually talk about not just the necessity, but we're going to talk about some of the things that happen within us and kind of practical things we do on our own that help us to abide. Not just why we do it, why we have a need for it, but kind of like what kind of things can we do that kind of put us in position for that. The first one is humility. The Bible says that God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Here we are in James chapter 4. It says, do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to dwell in us, that's the Holy Spirit, yearns with envy, but he gives more grace. This is why it says God opposes the proud. He literally stands against the proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Sometimes we try to resist the devil. It's like, I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to stand strong against the devil. I'm going to do this. But have you already humbled yourself before the Lord? I'm going to try really hard to overcome this thing in my life. I'm going to try really hard to forgive. I'm going to try really hard to do whatever thing you think it is that you're supposed to do. I'm going to resist the devil because he's trying to make me bitter, angry, or make me run back to addiction, or make me apathetic towards my faith, or whatever it might be. I'm going to resist the devil. Good luck. Good luck if you haven't already submitted and humbled yourself before the Lord. Because that's what it takes to do it. It's not that we can resist the devil. It's that when we actually humble ourselves before the Lord, it says that then he gives us what? More grace. Grace isn't just forgiveness. The biblical idea of grace is not just that God says, oh, you did something wrong, I'm gonna let you go. I have grace. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is divine empowerment, that God actually gives his power to you to do what you're supposed to do. That's why we use terms like when you see a ballerina dancing, you say what? She's so graceful. She has an ability that seems above what's natural. There's something going on. So there's a gracefulness about living out by the Spirit, but it comes once we've actually humbled ourselves and submitted to God. This is a different way of abiding and breathing than our world breathes. Our world doesn't breathe on humility. It breathes on the exact opposite. Our culture literally lives and breathes off of pride. Pride, arrogance, ego. It's what drives culture. It's what drives social media. It's what drives uh, the little clicks at work. It's what drives high school. It's what drives middle school. It Literally, it is just ego-driven situation is going on. I mean, some of the clubs, the workout clubs, have had to institute things where people can't grunt and make noises all the time while they work out. Why? Because it's not enough to work out. It's not even enough to get results and look good working out. People want people to hear that they're working out. Like, look at me. Bro, you haven't put weight on the bar yet. They just sound good. It's the ego. Somebody tell me I did a good job. Somebody tell me I'm awesome. Somebody tell me I'm making it. That's what the world lives and breathes off of. Well, guess what? If you're around that all the time and that's what you're breathing, you're going to start getting agitated, irritated, wanting to compete. You're going to start dying because you need to be breathing by the spirit, which requires humility. You're constantly going to God and saying, it's not about me, it's about you. Will you work in my life? It's a different atmosphere. It's a different way of doing things. Even the things that we want to do well. Sometimes we aren't able to. I've told this story before, but I just love the story. So I'm gonna tell it again. My my kids, my two girls had two my two oldest ones, they had a guinea pig because we wanted to get a pet that was indestructible. Whoever had a guinea pig in your kindergarten class or something like that, right? Like indestructible. It's a guinea pig. And they had that thing for like a week. And then my brother came to visit from out of town, and my brother comes and he says, uh I don't think you should probably go back in the girls' room and check on him. Like for what? He's like they got a guinea pig back there. He goes, I don't think they're supposed to be doing that. I'm like, doing what? And I go back there and they literally have him and they're holding him at the ground and they throw him up as hard as they can, and he hits the ceiling. And on his way down, he says, <whistles> and then boom, and they throw him up again. You ever heard a guinea pig scream? That's how they sound and then boom, he hits. And I run over and I grab him, I pull him out, I turn around and like, what are you doing? He loves it, Dad, he's laughing. They thought it was so fun. He made it about another week in our house, and he started biting and drawing blood, so we had to get rid of him. He couldn't handle it. So you got kids that do things that you're like, why is it my kids? It's all kids, okay? Just give yourself a break. You're trying, you're trying, okay? But this is something that they thought was good, but in their lack of knowledge or wisdom, it wasn't even good. What they were trying to do good wasn't even good. That's the same with us. The Bible says all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. There's things that even we're trying to do good that still aren't even good compared to how God would have worked it out or done it. And so that would call for us to have some humility. Lord, I'm doing my best, but it may get messed up because I already know that I got issues. I mean, I'm going to try to parent this way. It might screw my kid up. I might have to pay for counseling later. So please bless me with money too. I need both. Right? He's helping us along the way, and we're giving him honor. we're giving him that. And so that's the idea of humility. The second one is magnification. If you're doing more affirmation than magnification, you're in trouble. This world's culture breathes on affirmation. I'm good enough. I'm great enough. I can do it. I am, I am. Do you know who is the I am? It's not you. Believe me, I've talked to your spouse. It's not you. There's one I am, and it's Jesus. He's the great I am. It's not I am. If you want to start having more confidence, more peace, more success, more blessing, more grace in your life, instead of looking in the mirror and saying, I am enough, start looking in the mirror and saying, my God is good. My God is great. My God is faithful. My God loves me. Because then when you do what's inevitable, and that is that you fail, you screw up, you do something that didn't match your affirmation, you don't lose anything because that was never what you built your house on. You didn't build your house on the sand of your own emotions and your own goodness. You built it on the rock of Christ and his goodness and his greatness. And I look in the mirror and I say, I'm good. Even in Christianity, we've pulled a lot of that in. It's, I am a child of God. I am worthy. I am, do you know what? The Bible has some verses that touch on some of those things, but the whole Bible's point is not to tell you how great you are. The whole reason Jesus came and died on a cross is because you weren't, and neither was I. The point of the Bible is to show us how great God is. And if we read it and we pull out of that, like, wow, I'm pretty awesome, then we've misread it. Go back and read again. Look at it again. Because if you hold on to that view, that interpretation as the foundational piece, you're going to constantly live discouraged and beat up and as a failure because somehow I didn't measure up, I didn't make it to my expectations. And I thought I'm a child of God. I thought I'm more than a conqueror. I thought I'm this. I am thought I'm that. Well, you are. But the point is to magnify God and then let God brag on his kids. Let God give you your encouragement. Let God give you what you need. And so that is something that is different in our way of breathing as spiritual beings. Psalms 145 talks about that. It's a whole verse on that, a whole entire chapter. David's like, oh, come with me. Let us magnify the Lord. Let us tell of his wondrous works. And he just goes on and on and on about magnifying God, about telling of his glory, about singing joyous praises, and all these things that he's talking about because he focuses off of him. And David had much to brag about. He was literally a giant killer. He literally led armies, he was running a nation, he's a king, all these things, and yet here he is and he's crying out, come let us magnify the Lord. You know what the kings of the world did? They built statues and they said, hey, everybody come and magnify me. So it's a different way of living and if you want to abide in the Lord, you abide through being humble and then coming and magnifying him. When we worship, did you feel the presence of the Lord as we worship? It would be totally different if we were singing like, I am amazing. You wouldn't feel the same presence of the Lord. He resists the proud. but we come and we give glory to God, and people start crying. people start having healing in their emotions and in their heart. I mean, all these things start happening. Why? Because for just this little short time of 30 minutes in our whole week we've taken and we've just looked at God and just started talking about how awesome He is. Well, we can do that all the time. We can abide in that every day. It's something that we can do, and we magnify Him above everything. So here's some things to think about. What about your worry? What about your anxiety? What about your stress? We magnify those and make them so big. Is God bigger? Then our thoughts and our heart and our mind should be more focused on talking about those, both to others and also our self-talk, talking to ourselves about the bigness and the goodness of God. Gratitude is another one. It's to give God his rightful impact in our emotional well-being. Not just giving God his rightful place in the cosmos, and the world, and everything that he's created, that he's greater than, that he's bigger than. But in our emotional well-being, giving God the place. Do you know what? Gratitude does that because it says instead of being sad, depressed, envious, angry, anxious, or anything, I am grateful. There's a saying that I used to read when I was doing business stuff that they had passed out, and it stuck with me. It was that I once met a man uh, who felt bad because he had no shoes until he made a man who had no feet, right? There's always someone else that you can look at and go, but by the grace of God, that could be me. I'm thankful. The thing is most of us in this room, there's something in your life today that you prayed for last year. And God has done it, but does your mind and your heart dwell on it and continue to receive the benefit of it through gratitude? Or is it just on to the next thing that I need? Or the next thing that I don't have? Or the next thing that I want? When we used to do community group in Washington, uh, God had given me a word just as I was praying. He says, put a board up and a cork board and put three by five cards on it. And on the left of the board, so put a line down the middle, on the left of the board, put up prayer requests each week. And then when they're answered, grab them and move them over to the right so people can see how I answer prayer sounds good. My initial thought was, oh my, Lord, why would you do this to me? What trouble do you want from me? Everyone's going to see that you don't answer prayer. And I'm trying to lead them into faith. This was literally my conversation with God. I'm like, the left side of this board is going to fill up you know, you ever been at like a, a shopping mall or at a grocery store and they have one of those community boards and everybody's tacking things on top of each other and they start falling off because the tax won't hold? I'm like, Lord, we're going to have that here. All these needs and like one or two things moved over and people are going to be like, this is why we struggle. God doesn't answer. But he kept pressing it on me, pressing it on me, pressing it on me. I'm fine. Okay. So I went and got the board. I put the line. I put the stuff. And I got in front of the group and I said, this is what we're doing. Praise God. Let's have some faith. And do you know that we could never, ever, ever, we did this for a long time, ever fill up the left side of that board. Never happened. Stuff was always getting moved over. Always getting moved over. And not just easy things, hard things. Not just that my second cousin's third aunt who got divorced from a guy named Jim and he had a son who had a brother who had three cousins and it was his sister has a cold. I'm not talking about that. Real stuff. Sickness. Real, like, medical stuff that you're not just going to get over on your own, job things, relational things, all kind, addictions, all kinds of things, financial things, people can't pay their bills, kept getting moved over, moved over, moved over. And one day, I was minding my own business, just doing my own stuff, and like the Lord just said, you see? And I'm like, I see. But exactly what do I see? And this is what, this is what the Lord was speaking to me. He said, the reason people feel like I never answer prayer is because they'll pray the need a hundred times, but they'll only give thanks once. Now, you see how out of balance life can get real quick? The feeling of it? We spent six months praying that, you know, that Jimmy would get a job. And that it would move so that he could be able to have more time with his family and his kids and still be able to afford the money and all the things. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And God blessed him over and abundant with the job that fits his personality and it opens up doors for opportunity to spend with his family, all these things. And one time he comes back and says, praise God, you know, I got the job. And we're like, yay, move on to the next thing. And we forget. So gratitude was just one shot. But the need and the request was over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, they used to build monuments. They would take rocks and they would build things so that when they came back and walked through or when the next generation came through, they would still look and go, oh, remember, this is when God did that. And they kept it in their mind and they kept it in their memory. Do you have a journal? Do you have a place that you just write down the things that God's done that every once in a while you can just go look through? So that when you're discouraged or your heart's heavy or you think, why isn't God with me, you can go back and look through that? If you don't, you should start one. And if you have one, maybe you should start just looking at it not only when you feel discouraged, but just looking at it every day when you're already doing good and just bask in the goodness of God. But it's one of the ways that we can abide is through that. And this verse out of Psalms, it says, know that the Lord is good. It is he who made us. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless him, for the Lord is good, and his loving devotion endures forever. His faithfulness continues to all generations. That would be a great thing to get up in the, in the morning and look in the mirror and say to yourself every day, my God is good. His faithfulness endures to every generation. He's with me. And if you actually look at that first part of it, you see this is the secret past where you ever watch those movies or you've been to a place where it's like you knock on the door, you try to get in, a little thing opens, Chew! the little eyeballs show up, like what's the word? And you got to, like, give the password to get in. This is the password. But it's not even a secret. You just put it in the book. Look at this. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. And his courts with praise. It literally brings us into the presence of God to come in and say, hey, my name is Andy. And I'm just thankful for what you've done for me. Can I come in? Come on in. We can go in and experience the goodness of God, experience the presence of God. So if we live grateful, we're going to live in more abiding and more presence of Jesus. And we need that because, again, this world, the air of this world is toxic. It's full of envy. It's full of selfishness. It's full of, of, of dissatisfaction in everything that we get, dissatisfaction. It's all around us. Why? Because everybody's always trying to sell us the next thing. In order to sell you the next thing, you got to be tired of your old thing. And so it plays right into our human nature, and we, get, we can get choked out by that. Another one is meditation. This is the fourth one. It says, giving God his rightful time and attention in our minds. In our minds. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your what? Mind. It's his rightful place. He didn't just die for you so that he could have your heart. I gave him my heart, but my mind, I'm, nah, that's, that's who I am. No, he died for you because he wants your mind too. He wants to restore your mind. We're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And this is what he wants to do. You all have uh, smartphones, most, most everybody here probably? Okay, if you have a smartphone, just open it up real quick. And if you don't to, just look at your screen time. There's a little spot in your smartphone. You can open up, click on it, and look at your screen time. They say, How much time have you been spending in different things? How much time have you spent on uh, Jeweled? Uh, How much time have you spent on Candy Crush? How much time have you spent uh, playing whatever game is out? How much time have you spent uh, watching TikToks or scrolling YouTube shorts or whatever it might be? How much time have you spent on each of these things? And you look at it, you'll be surprised, most likely, because just little bits add up. I mean, money saves the same way. It's little bits adds up, but we're not as good at it. But screen time, you look and you're like, wow, I've spent like 42 hours a day. I'm really good at this. On whatever the thing is that you're doing. Well, that's a screen time. There's also a thing that you could look at and call it mind time. If you were to be able to pull your brain out and look at it, how much time has my brain spent today? Each day for the last week or the last month, thinking about my worries, my anxieties, my offenses, my desires, my failures, my shortcomings, my challenges, whatever it's been on. What is how many hours a day is my mind spent? I think if we all pulled our brains out and then unraveled them and looked at them, we'd be like, ooh, that's shocking. But what if our mind was set? The Bible says to set our mind on things below, above, not on things below. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace, but the mindset on the flesh is death. What if our mind was set on the good things of God, and it was set on gratitude, and it was set on appreciation, and it was set on. All of these things that God has us to do, kindness, joy, love, caring for people, forgiveness, all the things that God gave us. What if our mind was set on that intentionally every day and we weren't able to, we, we weren't in this habit of just setting it on the bad. Well, that can be done. It takes effort and changing a habit of the way we think and to constantly put our mind on it until our mind begins to get renewed and transformed. Scientifically, we have neural pathways. And there's actually neural pathways in our brain that once they form, they lock in and it becomes a highway where we just repeat the pattern over and over and over again. And for a long time, they thought that our brains were, once we hit a certain age, that our brains were now just permanently that way. They could never be changed. But science with MRIs and all the ability to actually watch the electrical impulse of the brain and then to magnify things and look at where the pathways are going, science has proven now that it's called neuroplasticity. Our brain, even in our older age, doesn't matter that if we put time and attention on stuff a different way, it actually, it literally Changes its wiring, changes a path, and moves it over because it wants to be efficient. And it's saying this person is trying so hard to think this way that we need to make it easier. And it like detaches from there and it reroutes and it starts sending the chemicals that way. And it takes time. That's why the Bible says, "Don't grow weary in doing good, and do time you reap if you don't lose heart," because good things take time. But your brain will actually start to rewire. There's things I used to struggle in thinking that God delivered me from immediately. Other things that He said, "Okay, now you persevere because perseverance will produce your character, character hope, and hope won't disappoint." So I'm going to let you do some of the work. And those things I had to constantly change. Like my thoughts are going, and "I'm like this way, this way, over and over and over again." But eventually, they changed, and they don't even go that way anymore. They don't think about going that way. They're just not in that direction. And so that's something that we can do with our minds, but that comes through meditation, setting our mind on, thinking about, holding a thought in our head, not just reading a quick verse. It helps us to think. It helps us to breathe. It helps us spiritually to be connected to the vine to get what we need. The, first, the, the fifth one is trust, giving God his rightful character in our hearts. It's giving him his rightful character. Sometimes we assign character traits to somebody that's really not true. Because of our own perspective, our own failures, or how they used to be. Or how they let us down before. Or how somebody else told us that they let them down before. Or how somebody else that looks like them, or is the same gender as them, or holds the same position at our job as them, or whatever it might be. They used to be like that, and I've seen somebody else like that do that. And so guess what? I don't trust them. I don't want to open up and be vulnerable. I don't want to connect. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. And so we can put a character on somebody that's not theirs. We do that to God. We assign our character at times to him. I don't know if I can trust him. Why? Because you're not trustable. I'm not trustable. Not to the degree that God is. There's things that I have committed to myself that I've broken. If I can't even trust me, who can Sometimes we get mad at somebody else, like, why don't you trust me? It be very easy. If anybody ever asks you that, just say, why don't you trust yourself? You've broken your own word to yourself. We have struggles there, and so we point it to God and say, well, God must be the same way. Sometimes we're unfaithful. We don't finish things. We start. Say, so, well, God's probably going to leave me now. He's not going to finish what he started. Well, God, he's not like you. The Bible says even if you are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. He can't deny his character. He's not like you. He's not like me. If he's committed to you, he's going to finish what he started. And so we can have trust. But those first four build towards trust. If we have humility, we're acknowledging our weakness and God's goodness. We begin to magnify the greatness and his ability and his power to change and to do things. We begin to live in gratitude. We meditate on those things. And the natural thing that starts to grow out of that soil is trust. Oh, I can trust him. I can trust him. He's greater than me. He's better than me. He's kinder than me. His love is more encompassing than mine. And I'm meditating on this. I'm grateful for him. Now trust begins to build, and we have trust. The Bible says in Proverbs three five through six says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all that you do, and He will show you which path to take." With all your heart, not just a mind trust. I think God could do that. But then there's mind, but then there's heart. I think they can do it, but I don't know if they want to do it for me. If they want to do it with his full relationship with his child, which is you. To give him the rightful place that he has paid for by his blood, and that is to be in relationship with you. He wants to love you. It's hard to love people that don't want to receive it. It's hard to love people They need to get everything right first. I I, I got a couple more things to do. It's hard to do that. Just stop. Let me love you. Hold on. Stop. Just be still. Let him care for you. Let him love you. Let him help you. I was swimming this week, and Maverick got a splinter in his toe. Patel's kid. He got a little sticker from the grass stuck in his foot. And he handled it like a man, like a dying man that had been shot like 40 times in the back. Oh, my word, was he ever losing his mind about this splitter. And so it was just amazing to watch. And then afterwards, I stepped on the same stickers. And because of Maverick's witness, I I just like, I can't do this twice. Otherwise, I probably would have been Maverick too. I would have just let go. So I go there, and they pull the stickers out. With the tweezers, I had a bunch. They start pulling them out. Maverick and Leah May and Caroline, they're pulling them out of my feet. And I'm screaming the whole way through. And we're pulling them out. But I had to sit down and say, you know what? Why don't you help me? That's what it means to let someone love you. It doesn't just mean let them have an emotional feeling for you, that's called stalking. It's like let them be involved in your life. Let him help you. Show him where it hurts. Open up. Be real. Connect. Let God love you. Let him get into your life. Let him deal with the things that are hard. Let him deal with the things that you don't want to share. Let him deal with the things that you're like, I don't want to talk about this because I don't even want to give it up and I'm not a good person and I don't, want to, I don't want to bring this out. I don't want to pray about this. I just want to bury it. I just want to stuff it. That's not letting God love you. Letting him love you is saying, okay, here I am. This is all of me. There's good, there's bad, there's ugly, but I want you involved. I trust you. We have to let him do that. It says in Romans, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you to his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. We shouldn't have a fearful relationship with God. We should have a connected, loving relationship with him. Who's heard of Stockholm Syndrome before? That's when somebody, if you're, if you're held captive by somebody for ransom or anything like that, you're held captive you start to fall in love with your abuser and your captor and have empathy for them and sympathy for them. Because over time, if they haven't killed you, over time, you begin to see once in a while they do something semi-kind for you. They they take care of a need or they let you bathe or they bring you some water or whatever it might be. They, they don't yell at you. They say one nice thing. Whatever it is, they, they do something and it causes you over time to move past the trauma of I'm captured and I'm being abused to I got to find something good and they latch onto the good and they just begin to try to like hold on to the good and then they begin to think well of the person. It's called Stockholm syndrome. Our culture has Stockholm syndrome with the devil. Is that he has captured people's minds and hearts, holds them in bondage, destroys their life, but gives them just a little bit of pleasure. Just a little bit of satisfaction every now and then, just enough that mentally and emotionally, they begin to think, well, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. The Israelites had that with their Egyptian slave masters. They left and they're in the wilderness and they're running out and they're uh, food and they're only eating manna and they don't have much out there. And they begin to say, oh, if only we could go back to our slave masters in Egypt because they fed us garlic and start talking about the food. They were literally taking their babies out of the womb and killing them on the stool. Literally. Beating them and making them work all these long days, doing all these things. And when they escape and get freedom, they start wondering, oh man, but the food was good. It was so good. And they begin to have affections for whatever the good thing was. If we can do that for those that hold us captives and abuse us and all these things, then shouldn't we be able to do that with the Lord who set us free? from our captives. If we set our mind on the good that he does for us and we set our heart on the good for us, it begins to foster and to build and create a deeper love. Obedience, giving God his rightful authority over his creation. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and he will, we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. And so obedience comes in. And there's a, a need for us to actually walk in obedience. But all the first six lead into this. If we have humility, if we're magnifying God, if we're able to trust him, if we're living in gratitude and meditating on these things and it begins to fill our heart, we begin to have love for God. Then if God says, hey, this is the way, walk in it. It's an easy choice. Of course I'll walk in it. You care for me. You help me. You love me. I can trust you. But sometimes we try to start from the other side. We try to start from obedience first. Not that we shouldn't try to obey the Lord, but we make it a legal thing. I just have to do all the right stuff. What's the checklist? I started coming to church last month, and, and I, I heard that God's got things he wants us to do. Well, can I get a list? What am I, I want to make sure I'm doing it because I want to do this thing. Well, I can give you a list of some things that God wants you to do and some things he doesn't want you to do. But if you try to do it outside of these other places of abiding, you're going to wind up frustrated and dried out and discouraged and beaten because you actually need God's life and the relationship and the love and the care and and to understand who he is and to trust him. So when he tells you that thing, you're receiving it for the good that it is and you're able to walk it out. That's why it's so important for us to be able to live that way. The Pharisees had it the opposite in the Bible. Jesus Pharisees were the religious leaders of the time. It would be like pastors and, and people like that. And, and Jesus fought with them more than anybody in his ministry. He called them broods of vipers, whitewashed tombs. He called them all these things because he said, you know what? You do all this on the outside, but on the inside, there's nothing. There's no love. There's no care. In Revelations, they're writing letters to the churches, and, and the church of Ephesus got a letter, and it says, you do all these things well. It talks about all the amazing things that they're doing. List some of them out. Then it says, but this one thing I have against you, that you've lost your first love, they lost the relational side. And the answer was, if you don't get it back, I'm going to put your light out. I'm going to shut you down. Because he didn't just die to make us better people. He died to bring reconciliation to him and to bring relationship back, which then does, in effect, begin to change us and make us better people. But that's the order. And we have to do that through abiding. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you for this church and everybody that's here. God, I pray that, Lord, they'll take some of these points back, Lord, and just look them over in their own life and say, where can I abide in a deeper way with the Lord? Where can I trade some of my thoughts, some of my mind time, some of the things that I have going on and switch those out for things that allow me to abide in my Savior? Father, you could fill them up, Lord, with all of your goodness, Lord, with your spirit, Lord, in order to, to live out the life you've called them to live and to surrender the things you call called them to surrender and obey the things you call called them to obey, but Lord, do it all with joy and with gladness because they're doing it by grace and not just by works. Lord, thank you for growing us and maturing us. Thank you for finishing the work that you've started in each one of us. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. Lord, for those in addiction right now, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness that you're bringing them out. Lord, for those struggling through a rough marriage right now, Lord, thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, and bringing them back into unity and forgiveness. Father, for those that are struggling with depression, Lord, thank you, God, that joy comes in the morning. Father, that you're faithful to send your Holy Spirit as our comforter. Lord, those that are struggling financially, God, Lord, that you are a provider, Lord, we don't have to worry because you know all that we need and you're supplying it. Father, those that are lonely, God, that you set the solitary into families. Lord, I pray as we abide, Lord, that you will remind us of who you are, bring strength and goodness, courage into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.